Okay, I almost said good morning. It's indeed not morning, so I will say good afternoon or good evening. I'm not sure which one applies at 524. It's good to see you guys. I have really, really, really missed you guys. Some of you more than others, if I'm being honest. Just kidding. <laughs> I miss you guys all a lot. It's crazy when you're just gone one weekend, just the longing I have. And I know I say that every time, but it's just so true. So I got a couple things I just want to hit on really, really quick. Um, <laughs> I wasn't here last week. I was in Texas at the church plant. I'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, I didn't preach. Obviously, I wasn't here. Pastor Dave didn't preach. You were here. Pastor Doug didn't preach. He was here. Well, who preached? Russ Marsoff, one of our elders, preached. Yeah. So it's kind of bittersweet. I'm pretty excited. He did an amazing job. The hard part is nobody should be that good on their first try. You know what I mean? I'm listening to it going, this is crazy, ridiculous good. It was amazing, Russ. Thank you so much. Blows my mind. Thank you so very, very much. Such a good word. And what a privilege it is to have him um, share God's word with us and to partner with him in ministry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for blessing the Lord and blessing the congregation that way. Heath was incredible. Uh, we had our third preview service in Heath, Texas at our church plant, and God just continues to do things there. Um, it, we had one in April, we had one in May, and then now we just had one in June. And I had responsibilities in April and May, and I got fired in, uh, for the preview service in June. I got an email earlier in the week, and it's like, uh, we don't need you, you can still show up. But uh, I was on the uh, unloading the trailer team at 8 a.m. I got booted off of that. I was on the greeter team. I got booted off of that because God just keeps bringing people. And it's just amazing. I got to sleep in and go buy donuts for the team and kind of just stare. And it was fantastic. We had 83 um, men, women, and children. So God just keeps growing and bringing people. And um, it just blows my mind, honestly. To see God doing what he's doing, it's just such a joy. So um, just keep praying, keep praying. God's working. People are just looking for a Bible-thumping church, and that's what we are out there. We just want to preach God's word because we know that God's word changes people's lives. Amen? And so we're really, really excited about what's going on out there. I want to declare to you what I hope you can declare to others, and that is this. I'm 53. I've been walking with the Lord since I was 15. I think that's whatever, how many years? 38 years, right? I am right now today the most excited I've ever been about following Jesus. I just am. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it doesn't come with some fear and trepidation. Sometimes I do it wrong. But I realized in worshiping I'm as excited right now as I have ever, ever been about following Jesus Christ. And I, I hope you can say that. If not today, in the, in the next day or the second day or the third day, sometime soon that you can say I'm as excited as I've ever been about following Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, I think, I think that's it for all that stuff. Um, yeah, gosh, God is so good, man. I always get a little antsy when I preach after being out of the pulpit for a week, and I, I'm just so eager to, to preach and to do this with you guys that I think I'm going to do it twice tonight. So um, I'm going to preach, I'm going to say amen, and then I'm just going to have you stick around. We're going to do it again because I'm just so excited. I'm just, I'm just teasing, unless you want me to. Hey, we're in Philippians. We are winding down Philippians, church. We have to, uh, today, and then we have next weekend, and then we are going into the book of Esther. So... As you know, what I'm going to ask you to do, how many 
Pastor Dave, how many chapters are in Esther? Is it 10? I was going to say 11. I would have been wrong, but I would have been close, but I still would have been wrong. 10 chapters in Esther. I would encourage you, if you can, between now and two weekends from now, try to read Esther in one sitting. Try to read all of Esther in one sitting. And if you can do it more than once, do it more than once. One of my favorite books in all of Scripture to see how God's working in 10 chapters of a book without his name being mentioned. It's just amazing, amazing. So be prepared for Esther in a couple of weeks. Philippians, we are in chapter 4, we are in verses 8 through 14, and oh my word, this is rich, and I feel like I'm robbing you for the things that I just can't share from our text. There's so much, it's just so rich. We're going to read it first. Then we're going to do some things, and then we're going to read it again. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 8, we read from the uh, New American Standard Bible, the NASB. If you need one, there's one in front of you. Take it home if you need it. Verse 8, finally, Paul writes, finally, brethren, (laughs) I just love this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. I wonder what you dwelt on today. I wonder the things that preoccupied your mind today, just today. What about this week? What about this month? What about this year? What did you dwell on today? Verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen. Wow. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, writes Paul, practice these things. And what's going to happen from verses 8 and 9? The God of peace will be with you. So who'd you hang out with today? I hung out with the God of peace. What did you do? (laughs) Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, Paul writes, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Really. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. Verse 13, I can do all things, Paul says, through him, Christ, who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Let's pray. Almighty God, we dwell on a lot of things. But Father, I pray that we would dwell on you, knowing that we can do all things through you who gives us strength. Lord, calibrate our hearts, calibrate our minds, calibrate our lives to seek you always. As the song said, O Christ, be the center of our lives. It's in your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Turn a little bit to your right in the New Testament. Turn a little bit to your right you got Colossians, and then you got uh, First and Second Thessalonians, and then you got First and Second Timothy. Go to Second Timothy chapter three, verses one through five. Second Timothy chapter three, verses one through five. And let's paint a nice little lovely picture here from these five verses. Okay. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. See if this doesn't describe a current reality. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness or religion, although they have denied God's power. Avoid such men as these. Let me ask you, church, in these five verses that we just read, are there elements in these five verses that describe you in any way, shape, or form? I hope not. Our text for today in Philippians chapter 4 speaks of peace and contentment, the other end of the spectrum, the other end of the spectrum that we just read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Our text today covers the other end of the spectrum. Philippians 4, 8 through 14 speaks of peace and contentment. I wonder if peace and contentment describe your life. Because that's what these verses talk about. If 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, those nasty verses, if those don't describe you, I wonder if today's passage does describe you. Oh, I hope it does. Let's reread now 8 through 14 on Philippians chapter 4. Let's reread that. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent, excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Because see, if we don't, we run the risk of dwelling on the things that were mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, dwell on the things in verse 8 and follow people like, like Russ Marsoff and follow people like Dave Briggs. Follow those kind of people. Practice the things that you see and you hear and you learn from them. Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that at last you have revived your concern for me. Paul's in prison. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. They had brought a gift through Epaphroditus for Paul's financial needs. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in all circumstances. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Let me give you a couple definitions of peace and contentment. I just wonder if, if, are you people of peace? Does the word peace describe you? Does the word content describe you? The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says this about peace. In the Old Testament, it's the word shalom. In the New Testament, it's irene. Shalom in irene. And it means this, peace is a condition of freedom from disturbance whether outwardly as in a nation uh, from war or enemies or inwardly within the soul. That's what we're talking about. It's a condition of freedom from disturbance within your soul. 
I don't know about you, but at times my soul is disturbed and I'm not at peace. But Paul says we can be at peace. Content or contentment means to be free from care because of satisfaction with what one is already one's own, with what is already one's own. Let me say that again. To be free from care because you're satisfied with what is already your own. Free from care means you're carefree. Are you carefree with what you currently have? Like, this is fantastic. I'm carefree. That's what it means to be free from care, to be carefree. Most people aren't carefree with what they have. The Hebrew word of content or contentment means simply to be pleased. Well, that could be dangerous if we don't think of the Greek word and complete this. The Greek brings out the full force of the word. Look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 8. Paul says it this way. He says, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says similarly in 13, verse 5, he says, make sure that your character (laughs) is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Let me ask you, would you be described as a person of peace and contentment? Is that how you would describe yourself? Is that how others would describe you? If I were to say to somebody, tell me two words about this person, and that person was you, would peace and or contentment be one of those two words? Would they be both of those words? How many days in the course of a year are you completely content and at peace? And that, yet Paul is saying that we can have that in Christ. J. Paul Getty, one of the richest men in the world, was asked what single thing he would change if he had the power. And here was his reply. He says, I'd change philosophy. People should be more content The way to cure discontent is not necessarily to get more. The old cliche about money not buying happiness is certainly true. This coming from a man who knows what he's talking about, who had a boatload of money. So what he's really saying is it didn't do anything for me. A cartoon appeared in the newspaper showing two fields divided by a fence. Both fields were the same size and had plenty of lush green grass. Each field had a mule appropriately. Each mule had its head through the fence, eating grass from the other pasture. Each with plenty of grass, the other fields seemed better, however, although it was harder to get to. The mules were also caught in the wires, and the cartoonist simply wrote just one word, discontent. It's what we do too, too often. Let me give you our outline for our text. The outline is a life of peace, verses 8 and 9, and a life of contentment, verses 10 through 14. A life of peace and a life of contentment. A life of peace and a life of contentment. Who here believes that a life of peace and contentment is possible? You don't have to raise your hand. I hope you believe that a life of peace and a life of contentment is possible. If you do believe it's possible, what's your game plan? If you believe that peace and contentment is possible, good for you, you're right, but what's your plan? And if you are not sure that it's possible, then today's your lucky day, because I'm going to show you it is. 
Let's look at our first stanza, A Life of Peace. Let's read verses 8 and 9 again. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things. In addition to that, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in godly men, practice those things. So dwell and then practice. And what happens? The God of peace will be with you. Not might be with you, not oftentimes will be with you, but will be with you. Amen? That's exciting. As we have discussed in our journey through the book of Philippians, in this letter, Paul gives insight into a life of joy and into a life of rejoicing. At verse 8, which is where we start, Paul starts the remaining part of this letter with the word finally. That's what it says, the very first word, right? Finally. He's wrapping things up. This can serve as a summary of what he just wrote, and it can also serve to indicate some important takeaways. It can serve as a summary, but it can also serve as, hey, we're about to wrap this up. Here's the important takeaway. I think in this case, it does both. He's summarizing the letter of Philippians, and he's also saying, hey, look, here's the important takeaway from this letter. Look, it doesn't take long to realize that life can be hard. It doesn't take long to realize that life can be hard. Yes, life can be hard. Peace and contentment often seem like an illusion for a lot of people. The world defines success in numerous ways, yes? The world defines success in numerous ways. And usually peace and contentment are not that definition. Peace and contentment are only found in Christ. Peace and contentment are found in no other place than in the person of Jesus Christ. John 10, Jesus says in John 10, verses 9 and 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, first thing happens is what? He will be saved. What does it say after that? And will go in and out and find pasture. He will be at peace. He will be content. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that we, church, would have life and have it contently and peacefully, abundantly. Matthew 11, Jesus says something similar. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ is the one that provides us peace, and provides us contentment. In verses 8 and 9, Paul provides two components of attaining peace. One word in verse 8 and one word in verse 9. The word in verse 8 is dwell. The word in verse 9 is practice. The word in verse 8 is dwell. The word in verse 9 is practice. What's the word in verse 8? Dwell. What's the word in verse 9? Practice. That's what it says. He says, whatever, 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 dwell on these things. Oh my gosh, I can dwell on some bad stuff 
Thank God I'm married. My wife dwells on the good stuff. And she kicks me when I need to be kicked. And I hurt often. Dwell. Dwell on these things. And then he says in 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen, practice these things. Dwell on these things and practice these things. Two simple words with radical implications on your life. That's what those verses say. If you dwell and you practice, there are radical implications. They will change your life if you dwell and if you practice. There's a campaign. <laughs> well, let me just back up. See, it's dwell and practice. We love sometimes in the church to dwell on certain things, but we don't ever practice the certain things. And Paul says both. We need to dwell and practice. We love to dwell. We oftentimes don't like to practice. There's the campaign. It's, it's, just, it's always been confusing to me. I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. That whole drink responsibly. You know, you, know, I, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know. I'm not, I just don't get it. Because it's like saying, hey, the thing that you're about to do irresponsibly, just make sure you do that responsibly. Is really what, because that's who they're warning. Is Anyway, it's just weird. So for me, that came up in these verses. I would say to you, church, dwell responsibly. That's the first word, verse 8, is dwell on these things. But then he says in verse 9, practice these things. So I encourage you, don't drink responsibly. Well, do, yeah, drink responsibly. Don't. <laughs> dwell responsibly, right? Dwell. If you're here and you're listening, you're taking notes, that's fantastic. But you better dwell responsibly. Does that make sense? We must dwell and then we must practice. The church is guilty of dwelling irresponsibly, in my opinion. We know, but we don't do. We dwell, but we don't practice. We must do both. And imagine, when we do, this, these verses tell us, when we dwell and when we practice, it says at the end of 9 that the God of peace will be with you. You dwell, you practice you hang with God, and God hangs with you. I wonder, you guys know what a pie chart is, right? It's a circle, and it represents, I guess, right, 100% of whatever, right? It's like, oh, this part of the pie chart, and this part of the pie chart, and this part, and that represents 7% and 27%. I wonder what our pie charts would look like. What thoughts do you and I dwell on? If we were to have a pie chart of this week, this month, this year, what things would go in this piece of the pie, what things would go in this piece of the pie, what things would go in this piece of the pie, money, job, kids, whatever. Those are important things, but they're just not listed here in verse 8. We must be concerned about those things. They're important things. But Paul says, man, dwell on the good things. Dwell on these things, the things of Scripture the things of truth, the things of purity. What thoughts do you and I dwell on? What does your pie chart look like? What things do you and I practice? What does that look like? What are the things that you practice? What does your pie chart look like? Here's what's cool. Sometimes life just gets, it just gets hard. And we don't always know what to do. We don't always know what to say. But you know what a lot of us do say? Whatever. 
We just say, whatever. I get it. And that whatever is, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it indicates our indifference. It indicates our exasperation. We're, we don't know what to do when we just say whatever. So here's my encouragement to you. When you find yourself saying whatever, quickly correct yourself and say whatever. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, whatever, verse 9, you have learned, whatever you have received, whatever you have heard, and whatever you have seen, dwell and practice, and the God of peace will be right there with you. So whenever you want to say whatever, say, oh, whatever. Change the whatever from the bad whatever to the good whatever. And go into Philippians 4 and remind yourself of this are the things, or these are the things that I need to be dwelling on. These are the things that I need to be practicing. And then watch God partner with you. I love it. Isaiah 26, verse 3. This is out of the New Living Translation. I love this. He says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Dwell, 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 dwell. And you will be kept in perfect peace. Psalm 119, 165. The psalmist says, those who love you, love your law, have great peace. And nothing causes them to stumble. Now let's put it all together. Let's put all the pieces of peace together. You see what I did there? Let's put all the pieces of peace together. These are the pieces of peace. Look at verses 6 and 7, which Russ covered last week. Be anxious for nothing. Gosh, I wish that were easy. But in everything, by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses our comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's peace number one. It's found in verses six and seven. We must properly pray. That's the first piece of peace. I'm telling you, when we're done, you're going to have three things that will guide your Christian walk for the rest of your lives. We must properly pray. That's the first piece of peace. Look at verse 8. Here's the second piece. This is like the 18th time we've read verse 8. Whatever's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, and worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So I always say, instead of think, I say, let me, let me process that. Right? Let me, let me think about that. Let me process that. Let me dwell on that. Same, it's all the same words. So here's the second piece of peace. We must properly process. We must properly pray. We must be praying people, but we must be dwelling people, people who process godly thoughts. We must properly process. Here's the third piece of peace. Verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen, practice. The third piece of peace is we must properly practice. We must properly pray. We must properly process. We must properly practice. We want to walk. Say, I'm going I'm to walk with God. Are you in his word? 
Well, no. Well, then you're not going to process correctly. Are you on your knees? Well, I'm on my knees. Are you in his word? No. Are you, are you practicing? Well, no, but I do like his word. I do like to, right? we can't just do one or two. We got to do all three. We must pray. We must process. And we must practice. We must properly pray, process, and practice. And when we do properly pray, process, and practice, we experience peace and contentment. Here's what's cool. That peace does two things. Verse 7, it says that it guards us. Is that not what it says? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. Too many of us have unguarded hearts and minds. We just do. Our hearts and our minds are unguarded, and we get beat up all the time, and it's because we're not properly praying. And then when we do seven and eight, both, right? He says, dwell on these things and practice these things, and then the God of peace will be with you. So you have the peace of God that guards you. That's verse seven. And then you have the God of peace that guides you. He's with you. So the peace of God guards you, and the God of peace guides you. That's eight and nine. Verse seven, you follow? The peace of God guards you, and the God of peace guides you. When we properly pray, properly process, and properly practice. It's why we need one another. It's why we need the church. It's why we need to be on serve teams together and community groups together so that we can do these things to learn how to properly pray, properly think, and properly practice so that we're guarded and we're guided. So you go out these doors and you're guarded and you're guided. And with this in mind, then we can experience the content life that Paul discusses in the next stanza. Let's read that stanza. Verses 10 through 14. But I rejoiced in the Lord that finally you have revived your concern for me. They were concerned the whole time, but they couldn't do anything. He says, indeed, you've been concerned, but you lacked an opportunity to give. Not that I speak from want, Paul says, which I think is amazing, for I've learned to be content no matter what. I know how to get along with humble means and how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So here's a quick overview of these five verses. In verses 11, we get 10 and 14, and in the middle, you got 11, 12, and 13, Okay. In 11, 12, and 13, we're shown Paul being content. 11, 12, and 13 is about Paul being content. In verses 10 and 14, we're shown people being concerned. So Paul's content and people are concerned, right? Paul's content, 11, 12, and 13, but in 10 and 14, the people are content. you got both things happening at the same time. It's pretty cool. What a great picture of the church. It's a picture of the church. All of us, like Paul, all of us, like Paul, should strive to be content. All of us, like Paul, should strive to be content. All of us, like the Philippians, should strive to be concerned for others. Even if they're content. Paul's content, but they're concerned. Paul's content, but they're concerned, and he applauds them for it. I made up this word. I looked it up. I couldn't find it. So it's my word. 
that ever ends up in a dictionary, I better get the credit. How high is your concernometer? I think concernometer is a word that I just made up. How high is your concernometer? How concerned are you for other people? How high is the needle or whatever on your concernometer? Because see, sometimes the concern is very present. That's what's happening here. Their concern was present. But the opportunity to do something about it was not present. But their concern was there. They were concerned but lacked the opportunity to help. On the flip side, many Christians today have opportunities, but they lack the concern. That's the opposite. That's the bad one. They were concerned for Paul, but they lacked the opportunity to help. Many Christians today have opportunities to help, but they lack the concern. That's typically what happens in the church. And so that's all put on the pastor or the staff. And so here's what happens. The pastor or the staff, they're concerned, but they don't have the opportunity to meet all the needs. And then people sometimes get hurt. And it's supposed to be the opposite, that the the many Christians who have the opportunities oftentimes don't have the concern. And so the body of Christ gets hurt sometimes and wounded. Paul, it says in verse 10, that Paul rejoiced greatly in the Lord. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because they were concerned for him. But look what he says in verse 11. He says, not that I speak from want. He rejoiced greatly, but not because he wasn't content and not because he wanted anything. But verse 14 tells us why he rejoiced greatly. Nevertheless, you have done well. He rejoiced not out of his want because it did them well. He rejoiced not out of his want, but because it does us well to be concerned for other people. So Paul rejoiced that they were being concerned about other people. In this case, it just happened to be him. But he's saying, hey, look, I'm good. But I rejoice greatly because you are starting to be concerned about others, which is what it means to be Christ-like. Meeting the needs of others more often than not meets a greater need in us. Meeting the needs of others more often than not meets a greater need in us. Let's revisit verses 11 and 12. Let's read 11 and 12. He says, not that I speak from want. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having much and suffering need. The key to contentment that's mentioned in 11 and 12 is that it must be learned. That's what verses 11 and 12 both say. You see the word learned in 11 and 12. Not that I speak from want, I have learned to be content. In verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. The key to contentment is that it must be learned. The key to contentment is that it must be learned. Paul says in verse 11, he says, am I on 11? 
No, 12, sorry, it's similar. He says in verse 12, in any and every circumstance. Wow. In any and every circumstance, I have learned to be content. Circumstances reveal your contentment. Did you know that? Circumstances reveal your contentment. That's what Paul's saying. I can say this to a lot of people in this church, but because we know our beloved Pastor Dave, his circumstances reveal his godly contentment. I've heard that from so many of you. And you look in the mirror and you say, wow, I know I'm struggling with stuff and I listen to Pastor Dave and he shares what's going on for him and we know of his contentment in the midst of his circumstances. Blows our minds, doesn't it? Circumstances reveal. God bless you, Pastor Dave. Thank you for being a godly man. As mentioned earlier, we learn how to be disciples that properly pray and we experience the peace of God. We learn how to be disciples that properly pray and we experience the peace of God. We learn how to be disciples that properly process and properly practice and we experience the God of peace. We experience the peace of God and the God of peace when we properly pray and properly process and properly practice. And the peace of God and the God of peace leads to contentment because we come to the realization that Paul comes to in verse 13, right? So this peace, the, the peace of God and the God of peace leads to contentment because we come to the same realization that Paul comes to in verse 13. Let's read that. He says, I can do all things because I'm Paul. Is that what he says? No. He says, I can do all things because I'm strong. No. He says, I can do all things because I'm strong through him who strengthens me. That's how Paul can be content, because he can do everything, because he has a proper prayer life and a proper processing life and a proper practicing life, and it focuses his on Christ, and he says, oh my goodness, through Christ I can do all things, because he can strengthen me. The Greek word that Paul uses for content refers to a divinely bestowed sufficiency. In other words, it's outside of our grasp. It comes only from God through Jesus Christ. That's the Greek word that Paul uses, a divinely bestowed sufficiency. Jesus taught the same lesson in John 15, did he not? Jesus said that he is the vine and we are the what? Branches. The branch does not bear fruit through its own self-effort, but, but by drawing on the life of the vine. Jesus tells us in 15.5, apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. But Paul says here, I can do all things through him. Apart from him, I can do nothing. I can do all things through him. Apart from him, I can do nothing. We make a big deal about Jesus Christ because everything rests on his shoulders. Our victory comes from a conscious, dependence, a conscious dependence on the Lord and His power. And oddly enough, that is easier under, easily or more easily understood when times get hard. Let me say that again. Our victory comes from a conscious dependence on God and His power. And oddly enough, it's easy, more easily understood when times are hard. One mark... <laughs> of maturity in Christ is knowing how to depend on the Lord in every situation of life, not just the rough times. We miss that oftentimes, church. We tend to go to God when things are hard. The danger is not going to God in the other times. In Revelation 3.17, the church of Laodicea, 
He's disappointed in them. And he says, because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. And you don't even know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's the danger. I'll conclude this with this. One commentary says this. It's not on the screen. Commentary says, prosperity has done more damage to believers than has adversity. Prosperity has done more damage to Christian men and women than has adversity. I loved those verses. I hope you did too. Christ is everything to us. We, church, we can wake up tomorrow and start thinking this way. I must properly pray. I must properly process and be in the Word of God. I got to be on my knees. I got to be in the Word of God. And I must properly practice. And we need each other in order to do that so that we can be people of peace and be people of contentment. Amen? All right. I'm going to pray and invite the worship team up. Almighty God, we are so grateful for your word, for the ways that you challenge us. Lord, we, we indeed want to be people that are at peace and people that are content. But Lord, we got some work to do if that's going to be the case. We know that all things are possible through you, so help us, Lord, to live through you. Help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, if we're not praying properly, help us to do that better. If we're not processing properly, help us to do that better. And if we're not practicing properly, help us to do that better. So that the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds, and the God of peace exists with us and comes alongside of us. What an amazing, amazing promise. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.